in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there. So, um, so there's been some interesting news in technology uh, toward the end of 2012. Uh, we're seeing some some big changes coming along at the executive level with a couple of notable companies. Those notable companies being Apple and Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're seeing changes at other companies as well, but we wanted to specifically talk about those two companies and uh, two of the executives that have been playing a very large role in products at those companies and and uh, what their departure might mean. Yeah, that that's correct. As a matter of fact, um, there are uh, more than just on the surface. It appears that there <laughs> are some... Ah, surface... Mm, I walked into that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there are some, uh, quite a few similarities between the, the two, uh, the two main people we're going to talk about, um, today and, uh, in, in kind of striking ways because, uh, the, the, the proximity or the, the time, the closeness in time between the, uh, two's departure has led uh, a lot of uh, analysts to look at the similarities and differences between them yeah. and it's and it's really kind of amazing. Yeah, and the two people we're speaking of specifically are Scott Forstall, formerly of Apple, and mm-hmm. Steven Sanofsky, formerly of Microsoft. Now, actually I should say Forstall currently is still with Apple, yes. but in an advisory capacity, not an executive capacity. Yes. But at any rate, uh, both of these these gentlemen were uh, high level executives with their respective companies. Both of them had uh, had not long before the announced departure of the of each of them had been on stage revealing uh, products, big big products for their respective companies. Mm-hmm. Both men had been with their respective companies for many years. That's true. Uh, in the case of, well, well, let's start with Scott Forstall then. Uh, he was the one who was announced that he'd be leaving um, Apple uh, earlier. I mean, that was in the end of October 2012 when that announcement came out. That's right. He and uh, John Browett both. Yes. At the, uh, at the same time, Apple announced that uh, the two would be leaving the company. Now, uh, Mr. Browett is uh, – or. Uh, you know, known for the Apple retail presence. Right. And he had not been in that position for very long. Uh, no. Tim mm-hmm. Cook apparently uh, felt that it was just a bad fit, that it was a, it was a bad hire uh, in, for that particular role. Mm-hmm. And so that was uh, Browett leaving. But whereas Browett had not been with the company for very long, Forstall had been with the company. Uh, actually, he had been Steve Jobs' uh, on Steve Jobs' team way back in the next incorporated days. Yeah. And uh, his role at Apple, I don't think I actually mentioned it, was senior vice president of iOS software. So mm-hmm. we're talking about the big, big stuff, mobile, iPhone, uh, iPad, that kind of thing, the iPod yeah. Touch. And, the iOS and, is the operating system that powers those devices. And and. Those mobile devices account for about seventy percent of Apple's revenue. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a, a huge chunk. part. Yeah, it is hard to exaggerate that that how important that is, uh, especially when you start looking at those sales figures. Yeah. Well, Forstall had been with uh, Apple since Apple acquired Next Incorporated, mm-hmm. and I guess we can do just a real quick summary of that for those who have not listened to our episodes about Steve Jobs. Um, so Steve Jobs had left Apple after having some friction with the uh, the top-level executives at that time yep. and went on to found a different company called Next Incorporated. 
mainly trying to develop computers for educational purposes. That's right. Uh, and then Apple, once it started to really suffer financially, I mean, Apple was in dire straits and not the band. Yeah, they were they were frequently mentioned with the word beleaguered yes. in front of their name, which they, suggested that they were on a sinking ship. Yes, they certainly did not have money for nothing. Oh, but they golly. they ended up acquiring, they purchased the company, Next Incorporated. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people said at the time that they were really buying Steve Jobs back. They weren't buying the company so much as they were trying to get Steve Jobs back into the, the fold at Apple. And Steve Jobs ended up taking over as a, an interim CEO and then eventually became this the full-time CEO of Apple. And on his team at Next Incorporated was Scott Forstall, who had worked for Next Incorporated straight out of college. So uh, Forstall joined Next Incorporated. He came over with Apple uh, or to Apple when Apple purchased Next Incorporated and began to work at various departments and was uh, was known for uh, being a, a passionate member of the executive team. Um, he was uh, the youngest executive over at Apple at the time uh, that he was asked to leave. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was a uh, an interesting, he was an interesting personality over at Apple. One of the things that I read, one of the reasons I read that he had been asked to leave uh, had more to do with personality issues than anything else. Um, now, we can say that this year, 2012, when they did uh, announce a lot of the changes to iOS as well as the new iPhone, there were some some hiccups in that. Yeah. The main one being, I, I have no idea where I am right now <laughs> because my Maps app tells me that the bridge I'm looking at is actually two miles away. Yeah. The um, <laughs> nice. Thank you. Um, yeah. The 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 Maps application for the iOS devices has been. Uh, to uh, to put it bluntly, picked on for yes. its inaccuracies. There are, there are many problems with it, um, and Apple has, uh, you know, in its typical fashion, sort of at first pretended that that wasn't the case, and then <laughs> basically saying, "Well, we goofed it." Like your first, it was you're traveling wrong. Yeah, and then it was okay. Maybe this isn't as fully baked as we had hoped, and in fact. I mean, this was this was big news when it happened. Happened. Uh, Tim Cook happened. <laughs> when it happened. Uh, yeah, uh, someone needs some coffee. Uh, CEO Tim Cook issued an apology for the Maps app for mm-hmm. for how it was not performing up to their standards, and this was a big deal because Apple never apologizes. Um, well, rarely, apologizes. very rarely yeah. apologizes. Yeah, it's when I say never, it is an exaggeration, but it only it, slightly. Yeah, only yeah, just barely. Uh, well, anyway, one of the uh, things I read, which may or may not be true, uh, was from the Wall Street Journal, which suggested that Tim Cook wanted Forstall to sign the apology letter because right. Forstall was the guy who was in charge of iOS, mm-hmm. and Forstall said. Nothing doing. Ain't gonna do it. That's not how Steve Jobs would do it. That's not how I'm gonna do it. Yeah. And, um, and that might have been 
one of the flags raised uh, at the executive level with Forstall was that you know he he was unwilling to sign his name to an apology, and Tim Cook ended up signing his own name to the apology and issuing it out. Now, whether or not that's true is impossible for us to say because this is all based on what various Apple employees have said to the press, mm-hmm. uh, but there's never been an official statement, and you wouldn't expect one to come out. Like, you wouldn't expect Tim Cook to say, well, I wanted him to sign this, and he didn't, so I fired him. That that probably would never in any sane world ever be said. Yeah, although the, the New York Times did uh, did also make that argument. Did they? Um, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, and in an article on the uh, the Bits uh, blog, Nick Wingfield and Nick Bilton uh, said that that had also been uh, told to them as well. Um, and I haven't heard, for that matter, I haven't heard a, an Apple uh, executive deny it right. formally. Um, so, we, so yeah, there may there may be some fire with that smoke. Well, and and it's possible too that that it could be a combination of all of these factors. Well, uh, yeah, I, I'm I don't mean to suggest that one flubbed app was enough to uh, to oust a, an executive who had been with the company for so long. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there were other issues. There was one um, that apparently there was a philosophical debate mm-hmm. uh, that centers around the, the idea of design at Apple. And there were two <laughs> sides, two main sides to this battle. Mm-hmm. On one side, you had people like Scott Forstall, who were advocating the use of a design philosophy called skeuomorphism. Yes, which is basically making digital stuff look like uh, real-world things. Right. Like you wondered why uh, in iBooks the the uh, covers of the books appear on a set of wooden shelves or, or, or uh, the, the calendar appears to be made out of stitched leather. If you swipe a page and the page turns, turns. like that's skeuomorphism. Or if you were to ever use any kind of – and it's not just Apple that does this. No, it's no, all, no. All no. sorts of companies. Mm-mm. But if you were to use, say, a digital – uh, music service, mm-hmm. and it presented it as if they were vinyl albums. Kids, ask your parents uh, on turntables. <laughs> well, yeah. that would be an example of skeuomorphism. There, yeah. there, uh, there's some part of that aesthetic philosophy that says people are familiar with certain form factors, and they find that reassuring, or they find it satisfying when it's yeah. involved. Um, there was an example where they showed off a. Uh, uh, an app where they were deleting a file and the deleting uh, portion ended up looking like a piece of paper going through a paper shredder. Yeah. And the critic I read said, how many people in that audience have never seen a paper shredder? And I'm thinking, uh, uh, aren't those still things? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I never mind. Anyway, but that, but, that's, that's skeuomorphism. And that was, that was kind of Forstall's uh, philosophy. He's, he liked including that kind of stuff in, Design. Mm-hmm. Well, we have uh, trash cans or recycle bins on our desktops. Yes, good example. Uh, or, or the desktop. Period. Yep. To think of it as the top of your desk with a stack of documents on it or documents on it. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is. But but the skeuomorphism that uh, that we're talking about sort of it it has a range. Yeah. And on on one hand, it's sort of a 
you know, just an, um, an idea. And at the other end, it's actually going so far as to add the stitching or, you know, yeah. the, the, the grain of the leather or something like that. And, and, um, some people uh, that really rubs the wrong way. Yeah. For example, Sir Jonathan Ive. Yes. Sir Jonathan Ive is a, a designer at Apple, a famous, famous designer, obviously, and he's got a knighthood. So clearly he's got some fame going on. Um, but anyway, yes, uh, because, you know, Hey, if you're a knight, you're pretty famous. That's true. <laughs> At least in certain circles. Look, I, I'm just saying I haven't reached the level of fame where I've been knighted yet. But uh, your majesty, I'm here and I'm waiting. You, you know, I, I, I'm just as an aside, I've never figured out how he designs stuff with the visor on his helmet down. Because it little slits, <laughs> you know, it's hard to see the screen. But all of Apple's stuff looks like it's meant for jousters. Um, no, he, he uh, he's famous for designing a lot of the form factors that make Apple what it is today. Like when you look at a lot of Apple's products, the reason they look the way they do is in part due to Jonathan Ive. Yep. And that's that's why a lot of them look they have a they a similarity to one yeah. another. Yeah. It's got got sort of a cohesion along yeah. their product mm-hmm. line. So Jonathan Ive uh, does not so well, I let me not put words into his mouth. From what That's reports, unsanitary. From what reports, you don't know where those words have been. Yeah, uh, well, you know me. Uh, it's probably you know I just pick up dictionaries lying anywhere. Uh, no, uh, according to a lot of the news reports I read, mm-hmm. Ive is not a fan of this design philosophy. He prefers to leave those elements out and to not have that clutter up his design. He doesn't necessarily think that it's relevant or that it adds anything to the experience. Mm -hmm. And so you have these fundamental differences in philosophy and uh, something's got to give. And uh, eventually it turned out that it was going to be Forstall's position that would give. Um, He was um, essentially there was an announcement that was said that he was going to leave his role, move into an advisory capacity, and then sometime in the year 2013, he would actually leave Apple entirely. Mm-hmm. Now, um, Ive is taking over the human interface team, which is part of what uh, Forstall was seeing. So that pretty much answers that question about that whole design philosophy argument. Yeah, well, th- there are sources that have been quoted um indirectly again because they don't want to be uh you know ha- have their names attached to these things yeah but there are there are uh sources who have told different news outlets and I've, because i've seen it in more than one place that uh i've and forstall had stopped getting along so well um i get the sense that they were they were uh pretty compatible at one point but that it had they had been growing apart in philosophy to the point where uh i've seen more than one news article that suggested that they wouldn't even attend each other's meetings anymore because they had become so uh, distant, um, at least in the workplace. I don't know. Yeah. And, and yeah, I've, I've read similar things and uh, there's also been quite a few reports saying that Forstall was uh, a a pretty demanding and sometimes abrasive person uh, to work with Mm -hmm. and that that also may have played a part in it. Um, Also, I read, I read one, very exhaustive uh, profile on Forstall. It actually yeah. was written before Forstall was um, leaving. And in that report, uh, it was essentially said that he was uh, uh, 
kind of uh, kind of the person who would say that's not how Steve would have wanted it done. Yeah, yeah. And that and that some people at Apple feel like that ends up holding the company back. Yeah. If you just keep parroting out, you know, Steve would not have done it this way. Yeah. And uh, you know, there's there are arguments to be made. Is Apple should Apple remain the the Steve Jobs company? Should it strike out and have its own identity where it was obviously evolved from what Steve Jobs wanted? There are arguments to be made on both sides. I've seen the same sort of arguments applied to the Walt Disney Company. Yes. Where you would have certain executives say, you can't just say Walt wouldn't have done it that way because if you keep doing that, then nothing new happens. Whereas other people say, that's you're, you're twisting our words. What we're saying is Walt would, would have focused on this sort of thing as opposed to the thing you are focused on. And, and so these kind of arguments happen in lots of different companies, particularly sure. when you have a, a very centralized – uh, uh, iconic kind of founder or leader and that person leaves the company, then we see this happen over and over. Oh, sure, sure. And uh, of course, um, it's difficult to know what somebody like Walt Disney or Steve Jobs would do in a given situation because, sure. um, especially the longer that goes on because, um, you know, for example, with, with Disney, you don't know what he would have wanted to do with some of the technologies that are available now that weren't during his lifetime. And, yeah. and so there might, those factors would obviously change. Of course, uh, Mr. Jobs has not been, uh, gone for as long. So it's, it's a little easier to hew closer to his, his visions. Um, people, of course, have pointed to the iPad Mini as an example of something that Steve was quoted as saying he didn't want. Yeah, and they, hey, look, there it is. Yeah, saying that he would never ever do that, and then it happened. So, um, you know, I, I, I think it's uh, trying to hit that middle ground. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's my personal feeling on it. Is you know, you kind of look at that and say, okay, well, maybe he wouldn't necessarily, but taking these things into account, maybe I don't know. Yeah. So, um, yeah. He, I, as a matter of fact, I've seen him. Um, Forstall's name suggested as the "quote unquote" closest thing to Steve Jobs that Apple still had. Yeah. Um, actually, the same has been said for uh, Mr. Sanofsky for Microsoft. Right. Uh, yeah. Which is one of the similarities. But uh, yeah, apparently he was. Um, uh, people on the outside, the, the the media, have been saying, you know, this is not good. He was, uh, you know, Forstall is a leader. Uh, he is somebody that that has a lot to do with the Apple DNA, he, and he a lot of people the, on the inside are saying, "Ding dong, the witch is dead." Right, we're glad right. he's gone. So, he, well, he he was he was a guy who was very passionate about arguing to adapt the Mac OS so that that would serve as the foundation for iOS, as opposed to creating an embedded. Uh, OS just for mobile devices. He mm-hmm. wanted to he wanted to have a more robust operating system that was related to the desktop system. He did not want it to go the iPod route, not iPod Touch, but the other iPods, which yeah. have uh, you know a, 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 an embedded specific operating system just for those devices. Right. That doesn't really have much of a relationship with the desktop version. Yeah. There's there's no shared look and feel. Yeah. So he he was one of those people who really argued for that, uh, and his his responsibilities will go to more than just Jonathan Ive. Uh, Eddie Q will take on some of the responsibility. He's going to be heading up departments that are uh, overseeing things like Siri and Maps, which uh, those are two of the products that had some uh, criticisms directed at them. Siri, when it first came out, uh, everyone I thought, everyone I knew who played with Siri was 
initially very much impressed and it became less so the more they used it until about a few months ago in 2012, like sometime around September, October 2012, when Siri started to seem to improve. Uh, And then, of course, Maps had that same sort of initial problem. Yeah. Uh, And then you've also got uh, Craig Federighi, Mm -hmm. which I could be totally mispronouncing his name in case I do apologize, but he he will be leading both the iOS and OS X side of OS ten. I know. I if they don't use Roman numerals, people call IXII. Call IXII. Um, <laughs> the uh, yeah. So OS ten. Um, but yeah, he'll be overseeing both of those departments. Um, so that's where Forstall's responsibilities are going to go to while he is what. Are you just doing the math? <laughs> no, no. I was just wonder. I was wondering where that came from. What IXII? Yeah, Hercules. Anyway, uh, Disney's oh, Hercules. Right, yeah. Um, so, so it's been a while. yeah, that wasn't that wasn't just. I wish I were witty enough to have come up with that on the fly. So anyway, uh, yeah, there, there are people who have a lot of experience at Apple who will be t- picking up his duties now. Uh, the question is how smooth a transition is it going to be? You know, it may very well be that we won't see a huge change, but it is kind of interesting that this happened shortly after Apple had had its big event unveiling things like the iPhone 5 and mm-hmm. the iPad, the new, the new iPad and also the iPad mini. Right. Uh, for all of that to happen and then for the guy who's essentially in charge of all that stuff get kind of pushed off. That was a big story, mm-hmm. which then brings us to our second person we're chatting about today, Stephen Snofsky. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to make one point. Sure. But we can still use this as a transition because both. Uh, this is another way in which these two guys are similar. Um, now, of course, uh, uh, Mr. Snofsky has his, um, has had the same kinds of things. He's the the Steve the the closest thing they have to Steve Jobs, et cetera, et cetera. And and they had similar personalities in that there are conflicts yeah. between different groups. But um, one of the things the media has said, again, about both of these guys is that uh, they had um, they had a devoted group of followers within their company. Yes. Um, and uh, I think that uh, in, in the case of, again, both of these guys, this could prove to be a problem because there, while there are people who are saying – Holy cow, this is great. I am so glad that he's not going to be here anymore. Yeah. There are a lot of people who are saying, dude, this guy, are you got to be kidding me? Yeah. He was a visionary. In, in both cases, him. in both cases, I read about how the people working directly for these two men mm-hmm. were often the ones who felt like they were working the hardest out of the whole company. Yeah. But some people thrive on that. So, yeah. There are. Folks, we don't mean to suggest that both of these guys or either of them were, you know, reviled within their own companies. There were no. people who were very much supporters of of what they yeah. did and their their work style, saying, "Look, these guys get results." Yes. So, uh, and in fact, you know, you can if you look at the revenues for Apple and you look at how well those mobile devices did, you can't argue that. I mean, Forstall clearly had a big, you know, he had a lot to do with that. Yes. And so. Uh, it's clear that he had a very important role at the company. Sanofsky, same thing. He was he was the president of the Windows division at Microsoft until 
mid-November 2012. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, he uh, he came in uh, before, I, I guess, in between uh, Vista and Windows 7. So as, he, as the president of Windows, yes. Right, right. So he, he had a lot working... to do with the Windows 7 yes. improvements. Yeah, yeah. He came in... Uh, he came in as the leader of the Windows division right when uh, Microsoft was really struggling because if you don't remember, when Windows Vista came out, it initially had a lot of problems and uh, mostly things like uh, uh, driver uh, compatibility, right. device driver compatibility, software compatibility. Uh, there were also some – just some user interface stuff that was rubbing people the wrong way. Plus uh, some of the, the Windows uh, user interface stuff, the new stuff was uh, a real processor suck. It, was, it yeah. was using a lot of computing power and people were complaining about that. Right. People saying like, well – Why do I need all these bells yeah, and whistles? I, I just – I want an operating system that gives me access to the applications I actually want to run. I don't want my operating system to be taking up all the computer assets so that my processes don't run anymore. The ironic That's thing very here, irritating. The ironic thing for me uh, is that you know the the design was one of one of the things is they were trying to make it look nicer. Yeah, and uh, people were complaining about the design. It's like, who are they trying to be? Apple? Yeah, yeah. No, we we see that kind of stuff all the time. Well, Sanofsky came in to head the Windows division. He had actually been working for Microsoft uh, since 1989. He started right. as a software design engineer. Uh, he came. He, he had a master's degree in computer science from uh, the University of Massachusetts, and uh, then he went from being a software design engineer to becoming the technical assistant for Bill Gates. You may have heard of him. His name sounds familiar. So, uh, 1999—that's ten years after he joined—he became the senior vice president of the office division, not the Microsoft office, as in the physical place where they work, but rather the software suite office. Ah. Like Word, PowerPoint, that kind of stuff. Oh, I figured he was in charge of making sure that you could watch reruns of The Office. <laughs> yeah. The Office. And so he became head of Dunder Mifflin in 19, no. In 2006, he became the senior vice president of Windows and the Windows Live Group. And in 2009, that's when he became the president of the Windows division. Well, he helped turn around this perception problem that Microsoft had right. with, with Windows Vista. Now, we should also say Microsoft did a lot of work trying to patch and fix Windows Vista and by the end of that cycle of patches, Windows Vista was actually a, not a bad operating system. Yeah, yeah. But the the early word, all of those criticisms that were directed toward Microsoft really hurt the adoption rate for Vista. Yeah. Anybody who follows tech, and that's probably just about everybody listening to us right now, uh, we all know that there's this thing about getting whatever it is, a gadget, uh, an operating system, whatever – Right after it comes out, because hey, you know it's cool. We want the new, we want the newest, we want the best stuff. It's just a thing, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, the, all the people who rushed out to buy Vista, it wasn't quite baked enough. It was kind of soft and squishy in the middle. And even Microsoft has said, yeah, pretty much the same thing. They said that you know they the, the part of the problems were the fact that it was rushed through development and it was rushed into production, yeah. and that it probably could have waited a while longer before launching. But, yeah. I mean, they had a lot of pressures on yeah. them at the same time. I mean, XP was really starting to show its age. Yeah. And then the early adopters, too, are the ones whom a lot of the other people listen to. Oh, hey, Bill, I know you buy stuff right after it comes out. How is it? Yeah. Oh, it's it's not it's not good, Ted. It's it's really not that great. <laughs> so, wait, Bill yes, and Yes, I Ted? know, I know. I just, did, I just did that in my head. Excellent. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, he said, you know, dude, 
Um, Whoa. But yeah, I mean, th- that word of mouth spread and, uh, and, and damaged the release of Vista. And, uh, they had a real problem. They, they found themselves going, well, how are we going to generate the right word of mouth? And they said, well, let's, Let's do this with the next release. So Sunofsky, you know, he's the head of Windows at this point, and he starts to spearhead the development for Windows 7 and really pushes for uh, to, to, to address all the problems that Vista had and to kind of head those off. And Windows 7, some people say that Windows 7 is the operating system that Vista was supposed to be. Um, That's probably an oversimplification. I think so. I think so. Because there were a lot of things that changed between Vista and 7. We had a lot more developments going on, even just on the Internet side of things. But uh, so Windows 7 comes out, and it has – it receives much more positive reviews on Mm -hmm. its initial release and has has a far faster rate of adoption than Vista did. Yep. Um, In fact, uh, as of the recording of this podcast, it hasn't been that long since Windows 7 surpassed Windows XP out in the market share, yeah. which was a big deal because XP was something that a lot of companies were depending upon for, you know, a decade. Yes, and so to make that switch is a big, that's a that's a big commitment. Yeah. Now, and um, upon the announcement that uh, Sanofsky made, and and here's one of the differences. Uh, while Apple itself said that. Uh, that Forstall would be leaving the company. Uh, Mr. Sanofsky actually said, hey, I, I'm leaving the yeah, company. He released and, uh, a memo on it, yeah. And uh, um, the, uh, you know, Steve Ballmer, the CEO of Microsoft, uh, has said very positive things about uh, Mr. Sanofsky. And, you know, hey, he's he's the man. He he knows what he's doing. This is, this is he's had such a great uh, series of accomplishments with the company. We're very uh, sorry to see him go. Yeah. There's uh but there's more going on under the surface here folks. Uh yeah. for one thing, the timing of his announcement for yeah. one thing. Uh sorry, did I steal that? No, no. No, that's a great that's a great way of going into this. Microsoft unveils Windows 8 yes. and the Surface. Mm-hmm. So the Surface tablet, both of these are big big products for Microsoft. Yep. The Surface tablet, Microsoft might say is not as important a in the grand scheme of things because they've been positioning that as an example of hardware that could run Windows 8 yes and that other manufacturers could build tablets that could equal or uh, or exceed the surface yes it was it was more about a proof of concept now this, this is all they're just scratching the surface yes it's the company line that's the company line now whether or not that's you know, the genuine feeling Microsoft has behind the Surface tablet, I don't know. It could be that they're hoping that this will become their version of the iPad. Um, I can't say because I'm not in those meetings. They won't let me in. There was that and there was the actual unveiling of Windows 8 uh, and the launch of Windows 8. And then Sanofsky and Microsoft cut ties shortly thereafter. And that raised a lot of questions. Again, just like Forstall leaving shortly after the iPad mini and, and mm-hmm. iPhone 5 announcements and all mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. The the timing question comes into play. Now, Sanofsky says that during any lull in a product development cycle, you tend to stop and take measure of where you are and try and decide what you want to do next. Right. So that it's a natural thing when a product launches and you're at that lull to really think about what you're doing. Other people are saying, well, this kind of seems weird because you would think that you would need to really – nurture and support Windows 8 mm-hmm. because it's such a huge change for Microsoft. I mean, the the user interface, 
of this operating system is an enormous change from previous versions of Windows. Yes. That, you know, even, even if someone is a, absolutely loves the Windows 8 interface as soon as they pick it up, it's communicating that to your potential audience and, and teaching them about the user interface and explaining how it can be used across various platforms. That becomes a, an important role of getting that Windows version of Windows adopted widespread, right? Yep, yep. Um, so while we talked about Scott Forstall's uh, devotion to skeuomorphic design, um, the probably the big uh, change in Windows 8 from previous versions of Windows that Sanofsky is, uh, uh, I don't know, credited with, but he's associated with the disappearance of the start menu option yeah. in Windows 8. And uh, I've actually seen, hey, if he's gone, does that mean we can have the start menu button back? There there have been, again, I've read some reporters who, uh, you know, their work, and I've seen that according to the reporters, it seems like Sanofsky's philosophy was, if this wasn't a feature that I introduced, I don't want it in Windows. Hmm. All the way down to perhaps even the structure of their file management system, wow. which is huge. Oh, I mean, yeah. That's, that's a key part of an operating system is how does it manage and organize files. Right. And so uh, whether that's true or not, I can't say. Again, this is stuff that I've read and, and you know, it's on the Internet, so it must be true, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway, the, uh, the that's, again, like Forstall, Sanofsky – a lot of the reports about him have said that he was kind of um, he was kind of difficult to work with at times. That he was yeah. very demanding, uh, that he could be abrasive. Also, one report I read in Bloomberg said that uh, you know Microsoft was trying to get to this point where they wanted to have a a uh, kind of a, an aligned approach with their products, so that you would get a similar experience going from one thing to another. So Windows Phone to Xbox to a Windows 8 device or whatever. This way mm-hmm. you would have a lot of the same features that were supported across these platforms and that you could you could port your experience from one platform to the next as seamlessly as possible. But that Sanofsky was not as keen on working with other departments. Mm-hmm. And that he was very focused on his department, but he didn't want to necessarily work with anyone else. And in fact, Bloomberg went so far as to say that uh, the environment in Microsoft's executive suite resembled something out of Game of Thrones with division heads poaching talent from one another and thwarting attempts from other groups to collaborate on products. Uh, just as an aside, I I hope it's considerably less bloody than Game of Thrones. I, I hope so. Li- you know, in the literal sense here. What's the iron price for Windows 8? Um, yeah, it's a, uh, uh, but but it made it sound pretty grim that, that the idea that these different divisions were actively trying to get talent from other departments for their own benefit and at the detriment of the other departments within Microsoft. Mm -hmm. So it's like each division is acting as a competing company with the other divisions, which is not a great message to give when you are talking about an entire company. Yes. Uh, Q4 is coming. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Uh, It's stark contrast, (laughs) I would say. Uh, i got to work a Tyrion Lannister joke in there somewhere. It'll be a short joke, I promise. So anyway, um, yeah. Wow. Hey, I did it, didn't I? So, so yeah, Sanofsky, again, very much an important player at Microsoft. And, um, and it's, it'll be interesting to see 
where Microsoft goes from this point forward. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, Windows 8 is a baby out there in the operating system world. And, uh, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how, how the company continues to develop and, uh, and present the Windows 8 to the market True. with Sanofsky gone. Mm-hmm. And, um, whether or not uh, – th- I've seen some questions from people asking like, well, does this mean that Microsoft is going to do a 180 mm-hmm. and move away from the Windows 8 tiled interface and uh, and go back to something more traditional with the next release of Windows? Right. And personally, I think that that might not be the right message to say – Wow, you know, because I think Windows 8 is truly an innovative product. I think it, yeah. I think I think there are a lot of great ideas there, and I do think that there is a need to create an operating system that can work across multiple platforms because more and more of us are using mobile devices for our computing, and yet we'll still need to use desktops and laptops on occasion, and the the more we can meld those worlds together so that we can easily work on the same stuff no matter which form factor we happen to have at our access right then and there, mm-hmm. I think the better off we are. Yeah, well, there are definitely some some similarities in strategy there, uh, the way that uh, Windows and the Apple operating systems have been uh, converging you know, between the, the computer world and the mobile device world, yeah. the similarities in the operating systems um, that's been increasing over the last few years. I think it's a, um, a testament to the, the design philosophies of both of these men. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it, it's going to have an impact both on the company uh, strategies and on the company, the relations within the, uh, the departments, whether or not there's going to be turf wars and things like that. Um, I think it's a little too early to tell that, but it could have very, you know, very well affect the, um, uh, corporate culture as well. So yeah, definitely. it'll be, uh, probably a little while before we know for sure, but And and these are big companies. This is not the first time that that either company has lost a a, an executive that people thought was you know was an iconic person at that company or well Jobs and Gates right right because Gates and Jobs of course are no longer uh, really the influence on these companies. I mean they're they're, they still have influence even though they're no longer directly involved in them because everyone says well. These companies were founded upon right. the philosophies of their founders, so we want to stay true to that yeah. to a point, but not to the detriment of the success of the company. Right, right. Well, they proved both of them proved so integral to the success of the company. Yeah, um, that you know, it, they their legend has a lot to do with you know the way people think. Well, what am I going to you know? How would this work if he were going to be right. telling me what to do? So yeah, so it'll be interesting to see uh, the. The next few months, how they unfold for both Apple and Microsoft. I, yeah, mm-hmm. I would imagine both companies will, will, you know, have a couple of bumps, but they'll get back on track. Uh, it'll really be interesting to see a year from now, or in the case of, of Microsoft, maybe a few years from now, mm-hmm. when we see the next generation of products that would, I mean, they'll, they'll likely still have quite a few, uh, fingerprints from these guys on them. Because, you know, they're, they're not de- oleophobic for one. Thing. <laughs> and the development cycles do tend to extend well. Like by the time a product is released, then the succeeding product is already well into development. Right. Right. So like when you get Windows 8, you can be sure 
that Microsoft's been working on Windows 9 for some time. So, one would imagine the, anyway. Yeah, same thing with iOS. And get iOS, you get the launch of iOS 6, you know iOS 7 has been uh, in development for a while as well. Yes. It's just the way that it works. Because if they waited, then it would take even longer between generations. And that tends to not be great for sales. So. Yeah. And of course, like I said, all of us are waiting for the next big thing. Yep. Yeah. We've kind of, we've kind of, it's a, it's a feedback loop, right? Yeah. Because the companies come out with a new thing. We get all excited. We go out and we buy the new thing, which then pushes the companies to develop the next new thing so that we'll come out and we'll buy the next new thing. And, and it's, a, it's a cycle. All it's, right. a, it's integral to the, the company's bottom line. Yep. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, guys, if you have any suggestions for future topics for Tech Stuff podcasts, you should let us know. Send us an email. Our address is techstuffatdiscovery.com. Or send us a message via Twitter or Facebook. You can find us at those locations with the handle TechStuffHSW. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 